Welcome to the Order Up Show, the operations management podcast presented by Ops Analytica. Hey, it's Tommy from Ops Analytica. I've learned a couple of interesting little facts over the last couple of weeks. The first came from one of our clients who did some internal research on their locations. And what they figured out was that the locations that did their Ops Analytica diligently had 89% higher customer satisfaction ratings than the stores that did not. So if you want to increase customer satisfaction, the easiest way to do that is to implement Ops Analytica and start managing your locations and make them more effective, right? The other thing that I learned recently was from interviewing um, a director of training and culture at a very popular bar chain. And what they were saying was from all the research they were watching is that customer satisfaction is uh, one of the most important factors right now because prices have gone up, people are going out less. And so when they go out, they are demanding that they get what they're paying for, right? And whereas somebody might've given you two or three chances in the past, now what they're finding is they're only giving you one chance because they have a lot of options and they're not going to waste their money um, when things are more expensive. So it's a double whammy, guys. Right now, if your customers want more value, they want more customer satisfaction when they come to your locations and Ops Analytica can give you 89% better customer satisfaction than you have today. Thanks. Check us out, OpsAnalytica.com. Hey there, Order Up Show. Guess who's back? It's me, Tommy, and I have another guest. Please welcome to the show, Joe Dominiac. Joe, how are you, sir? I am great, Tommy. How are you doing today? And I'm living the dream. Every day gets better and better. That's all I can ask for. That's <laughs> <laughs> all we can all ask for, right? That's right. Uh, yeah, man, things are good. You know, just doing doing my thing here. Uh, I'm excited to have you on. And, uh, and just so you know, Joe, I do the same five questions for every guest. And I like to get to the first question because it's my favorite one of them all, which is tell me what you do today, but then take me through your career progression from your first job until now. Wow. All right. Well, today I'm the uh, president and chief development officer for ARC Restaurant Group. And we own and franchise six brands. Uh, regional and national brands. So uh, very busy job with six different executive teams uh, dealing with. Uh, but how did this all start? Well, I guess my first business job uh, started when I was adopted. My family tells me that I entered the house with a briefcase. So business was in my, uh, in my roots from there, from you know selling uh, Christmas cards and holiday cards as a kid door to door, to being a newspaper route, uh, to working in Hills department store through high school and college, uh, entering the United States military and really then getting a hang for, you know, what does leadership and true leadership really look like? And what can you accomplish when you work together as a team? Uh, due to budget cuts, left the Air Force earlier than I thought I was gonna leave. Uh, but left as a uh, as a captain, and really then went into the business world. From there, uh, I led a computer company, and back then in the day, they were on Alpha Microsystems. 
very complex. Uh, that system for dental offices was able to do everything they do today in, in terms of the digital radiology uh, and all that, except it was much more cumbersome and it had outpaced uh, what the staff at the time could actually do it was too complex and they didn't have the training. Uh, so really learn then and there, keep it simple, keep it simple. And when you think you have it simple, make it even simpler. Um, but uh, then uh, had a very unique phone call from a mentor of mine, Steve Milovich, uh, who turned out to be a mentor of mine. Uh, said, you don't know me, but my brother does. He's one of your clients. Uh, I have a position uh, as a hub operations leader and finance leader for the Broadway stores. Uh, based out of California. I'd love to talk with you. So then entered my retail days, um, which lasted exactly to the date, one year. Uh, they were bought by Federated to Macy's Group. I got back to my office after hearing that and my phone's ringing and it's Steve. And Steve says, Joe, uh, don't fret. I have your job with Julia Stewart, uh, an interview with Julia Stewart at Taco Bell. Uh, you know, be positive, you'll do great. And uh, back then I was like, Taco Bell, well, Steve, what did I do to piss you off? And uh -huh. he laughed and he was like, Joe, Fortune 50 company, PepsiCo, be there, be on time, be ready. Uh, so that was my introduction to restaurants. Uh, we did what I think was the most valuable exercise that a company can do. And they took you for a full day as part of the interview process as an RJP, where you ride along with a person uh, who is in the role that you were going to assume. And that was immediately realizing that it's not about selling tacos and burritos. Uh, it's really about people. It is a people industry. And, you know, how do you reward and recognize folks to get them to achieve things they couldn't? And how do you be part of an industry where a person, you know, with a high school diploma or less can work their way up from doing dishes to owning their own restaurants? Uh, so that restaurant bug hit me from there. I moved up the chain with uh, Taco Bell and Yum Brands, uh, 10 and a half years with them, uh, left as the director of champs uh, for uh, the Taco Bell uh and joined a franchise group as their chief operating officer and we were the sixth largest arby's group uh based out of louisiana had locations all over the country and we also opened up dunkin donuts in the indianapolis marketplace uh very successfully opened them at the time and we actually sold them to a fellow franchisee at a time where all the other large area developers uh, we're experiencing some some serious financial implications in their business. Uh, from there, went to uh, Colorado and uh, helped Heidi Ganahl uh, take Camp Bow Wow uh, to a private equity group. Uh, and one of the conditions there was uh, her entire family was in all of the key positions from her mother, her father, uh, and her aunts and uncles. And to put in a, a you know, professional leadership that was not family related while still allowing the family to have Thanksgiving, Christmases, and birthdays together forever. So uh, talk about a challenge. That definitely is one, not only professionally, but uh, uh, walking through all of those landmines. 
Um, then I got recruited into Skyline Chili, very iconic Cincinnati-based brand, uh, regional brand. They were uh, coming upon times where uh, if they were in Cincinnati, highly successful. The further you got from Cincinnati, it became tougher and tougher climate. Uh, so help them get their turnaround, new menu items. And today, uh, they have now been able to move into a dominant regional player versus just a Cincinnati-based player. Uh, they have locations now in five states uh, from that work. Uh, spent a little bit of time at Buffalo Wings and Rings as their chief operating officer. Uh, and then from there was recruited here to sunny Florida for the ARC group as their president and CEO. Man, we have a lot of intersecting things to talk about. I just made a list. All right. <laughs> so real quick, let's go to the military. Did you go through OCS or did you go to the Academy for the Air Force? I actually went through OCS. Oh, that's perfect. I like that. Um, what were you, what were you doing in the Air Force? So I started enlisted as a crew chief, and then I went as a pilot trainee, uh, and then as a uh, in charge of a maintenance unit when uh, it was a pilot training slot for the guard and reserve, and those slots were being eliminated. Uh, so they put you into the desk job, so you got to fly to desk. Yeah, that's that's not fun. The, uh, my my freshman year, so I went to Valley Forge Military College, and I was going to be in an OCS program too. But then I got mono, not even from like I got mono from like drinking my neighbor's soda, not like kissing a girl. Not right. even good, you know. I was like, hey, because we had been like you know neighbors for like twenty years. I'm like, give me your soda. I need a sip, and then I get mono from her because she's out kissing dudes, and then it screwed up my slot. But I ended up staying at Valley Forge. And my freshman year roommate was an Air Force Falcon, and he's he's still a pilot today, and he flew in the um, Thunderbirds and all that stuff. So, um, but we just literally were—I'm in Colorado. We were at a swim meet down at AFA uh, like a week ago. Um, I know a ton of the same people you do from Camp Bow Wow because I worked at Quiznos. And a lot of the people from Camp Bow Wow were Quiznos people that were jumping ship. Yes, absolutely. Including Mary B and some others that, you know. Right. Um, and we know Heidi as well. So Heidi's good friends with my neighbor up the street. And um, obviously she just ran for governor, but did not right. win, unfortunately. Yeah, that was an unfortunate uh, outcome. Yeah, she's a she's a great person and uh, a real like you know she took some she made something huge out of nothing. You gotta exactly. give her her props for that. And her, uh, well, her husband will do a good barbecue for you. Oh, I know GQ barbecue is delicious. I can get him in the show too. They, uh, yeah, no, great people. We see them at like barbecues and stuff all the time. Um, Skyline Chili, we talk to those guys. <laughs> packing the day with our with our product for their uh, FDA monitored uh, production facility. But I like have made my own chili on spaghetti because that's the big thing mm -hmm. for them. I don't know about Cincinnati chili, slightly sweeter, and you eat it on pasta with. If you look at the pictures on the website, an obscene amount of cheese, like more cheese than really anybody should be eating in a day. They seem to put that on the chili. That's a fact. Well, you'll, then you'll appreciate this since uh, 
you also uh, helped with the production facility aspect of it. The actual secret is more, the actual um, um, uh, recipe is more secret than the KFC recipe. It's actually divided into two different sections. <laughs> no two people know the full recipe. That's hilarious. That's really yeah. Yep, and even when it's being put together, the folks who put the spices together never come in contact with each other. That's hilarious. Really? Very hidden secret. That's crazy cool. Um, so, okay. Uh, and then uh, I, I think you probably know a buddy of mine that worked at Quiznos that opened up some buffalo wings and things. I don't like to mention people's names. Uh, out in Wichita or in Kansas, my guess would be. Yes um and now you're in florida wow and you guys are running six different brands and you mentioned in the beginning you said we're running i'm working with six different executive teams does that mean within your franchise or you have six different executive teams for each brand or are you referring to the franchisee the franchisor brands now, for each, each one of our brands has an executive team oh wow how many locations total do you guys have uh right now we're at about 110. oh that's great so we're small size regional brands and uh national brand tilted kilt that probably everybody knows uh is now in our portfolio as well that's great so okay well let's talk about that because that's a very interesting thing because you obviously came out of yum as a franchisor and that's mm -hmm. i would say one of the top top operated franchisors in the world right like they just they understand their they understand their business they understand that they're i believe like coming from quiznos right where you know quiznos was out for quiznos and the franchisees were you know just um fodder for that versus i feel like with yum yum wants yum truly wants their franchisees to make money they want everybody to be successful and they set up the business so that people can be successful. And that's not every franchisor does that, right? Probably 20% of them do it and 80% don't, you know, to some different extent. So you've got the full spectrum. You came from like the gold standard, yum. And then now you're working as a franchise, a multi-location franchisee. Um, franchisor, we're, we're the franchisor of those brands. Oh, you're the you're the full franchisor, so you yes. own the brand. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, are you running it like a Yum? We are in the process of shifting it to a Yum. Absolutely. Uh, we've retitled everyone, the coaches. Uh, we've repositioned them to where they're there to support, and we've really changed the culture around the fact that uh, we need to grow the franchisees' bottom line, and the top line will come um so you know very much like the yum model you know we are only as strong as our weakest link and you know i think david novak is a a huge role model of you get what you recognize uh and we have moved to a recognition versus a recognition of success culture versus a recognition of what you're doing wrong culture and culture changes as you know take time uh but they're being very well embraced by the franchisees that's really cool. You know, my first job at Quiznos was I ran the franchise assistance program during 2008 
during the Quiznos implosion, you know? So like, I call that my second MBA because it was right after I got my MBA and I was like, oh my God, like this is insanity, you know, what was going on. And I learned so much from that. But like, you know, the franchise world can be, it's such a, it can be such a mutually beneficial relationship, right? When it's done correctly and the incentives are aligned, right? Right. I always tell people when they're on, if they're listening to this show, if you're going to go be a franchisee and you want to own your own business, you better go and understand how does that franchisor make money, right? And uh, make sure that they're, what they're doing is aligned with you being successful, you know? That that's absolutely key. I think uh, you know the difference between a franchisee and franchisor uh, should be very little. But if you don't share the same values and you don't share the same path for how money is made and how it's saved and how it's reinvested, uh, it will be a very uh, antagonistic marriage versus a great productive marriage. And all too often, uh, franchise ors get themselves in trouble when they chase the uh, the initial deposit to become a franchisee and the franchisee's fees versus doing that upfront vetting and making sure that this is a partnership that you both agree to the terms on and understand the terms and understand how each executes the terms for mutual success. Yeah. Well, and I mean, too often franchisors just get focused on their sales, right? Mm -hmm. And if they're not looking, and then you can see this at Subway, you can see it at Quiznos too. Like if you, if you're just focused on your revenue, then you make, it's sort of like what we talk about with CEOs and like, they're just chasing quarterly profits and they don't want their stock to go down and they're just managing by the street for the next three months, right? It's the same thing. If you're just chasing your own sales. You will make decisions that will increase your sales while killing your franchisee base because they won't be making any profits and therefore they, they, they won't stay in business. Right. And so they'll go out of business and now you're flipping stores and all the BS that goes around with that. It's miserable. It's horrendous for everybody. I mean, you think when a, when a, when a person comes off the street and becomes a franchisee of your brand, you know, they are making a huge family and financial commitment. And as the franchisor, uh, it's our obligation to look out for their long-term success and not just, oh, well, today if we do this, royalties go up by Y, uh, and then suddenly our franchise base just gets obliviated. Uh, and you know, a lot of companies have done that. We've all seen that happen with companies. Some grow faster in their infrastructure, uh, can support, and declines happen. But that's where our, where our group comes in at the ARC group. Those are the brands we love to buy. It's, uh, second, third ownership where we can turn the boat around and really refocus on that franchisee's bottom line uh, and help them achieve their goals. That's wonderful. Um, that's really cool. So, uh, okay, let's go to question number two. What is the big project and initiative that you're working on right now? Biggest project initiative we're working on right now is, you know, every, every industry out there is feeling the quote unquote 
post-COVID lack of employees. Yeah. Uh, uh, and I mean, we can we can all surmise why or what's behind it, but the reality is, in the restaurant business, we're used to be able to get, you know, ten employees to work the back of the house for lunch and twelve for dinner. Uh, is not does not happen today. So how do we use technology and leverage back of the house technology on equipment and processes so that, you know, if we know we can solidly get six people back of the house, how do we get the back of the house operation so that those six folks can be absolutely productive and how they can enjoy coming to their job and they are not coming in and losing before they even enter the doors. Sure. Uh, and then focusing, you know, there's a big push, you know, the technology, there's a difference between technology for the sake of technology and technology for making experience better. And then how to use that technology in the front of the house to actively engage with and communicate with, a, with a, just a vast range of our audience now, right? From folks who, uh, you know, using a cell phone for a QR code menu, they'll never do it. And they won't come into a restaurant once they find out their restaurant has it. To the other extreme where if you don't have the QR code, forget it, I'm not coming in. So how do you blend all of that and still make a face forward, eye to eye relationship with your guests? So technology to enhance our experiences is the biggest focus we have right now. Yeah, and it, it, it is, you know, more technology, and obviously I'm a restaurant technology company too, but more technology has been thrown in the restaurant industry, you know, in the last three to five years than, you know, existed for the previous 4,000 years. You know what I mean? Like, it's kind of crazy that up until, I mean, the POS, it, restaurants are operating the same as when Jesus ate in restaurants. You know what I mean? Like, it's it's nuts. And so, but you're right. I think there's a lot of technology out there. And, and I think restaurant operators have to be, you have to look at it and go, how does this impact my business? Right? Like, what am I really getting out of this? Because, you know, um, technology vendors are notorious for selling people stuff they don't need, you know? And so you have to be really kind of navigate that minefield and go, what is this really going to do for me? You know what I mean? Like, how am I going to utilize this to be successful? Have you guys looked at robots? Have you looked at Flippy? Have you looked at, um, what have you looked at for the back of the house? We have. We've looked at uh, everything from hot hole that will keep uh, food at temp time temperature for eight plus hours. Uh, we've looked at Flippy. We've looked at um, uh, the robotics. Funny story on those. Uh, new locations will absolutely have them retrofits. When you get into the back of the houses, they were never designed for the robot. Uh, and let me tell you, propping doors open, keeping uh, water from ice machines away from it and all. We, uh, unfortunately, we, we kind of really beat up on our um, uh, prototype that we were given for 30 days. And, and that poor little robot uh, probably did 100 years of battle service in that 30 days. But we learned a lot and how to design for the future and really looking at uh, changing perspectives that it's not there to replace a server, it's there to make the service enhanced. Uh, but and other equipment that we really looked at is, you know, how do you how do you use drive-through technology and then how do you also use 
to go and third-party technology so we can identify you as you're coming onto the property and have your to-go orders delivered to your car so you're never leaving your car uh, yeah. and giving you that experience. So there's uh, those are kind of the, the cool things in the future, but you are right. I mean, it's like every other, every other vendor out there, right? Uh, when you sit down with them and you hear what they have to say, man, it's the greatest thing since sliced bread and you know it. But then it's, you know, how do you apply it to the real world and how do you apply it to what would be new prototypes is really key. Well, and you brought up something really interesting to me. And it's like what you, you said in there too is the retrofit, right? Like it sounds great to add robots to a restaurant, but like if the line is meant to support two employees on either side, like a Taco Bell line, right? Like between lines. Mm -hmm two and three like you can't just automatically like where are you going to hook this robot up you got like collapsible tile on the ceiling you know suspended above you know like there there are things like we're hooked up with a robot company here that does like food delivery robots and uh -huh. you know and they've got like a cool kds system and stuff and so the, you know they can put the food on the different trays of the robot and send it to the tables and the robot walks up and hi, here are your wings, trade two, grab your wings, that kind of thing. So like uh, we've been working with those guys and and they've been, they're rapidly innovating, trying to figure all this out, but they, they kind of run into the same thing. Like, you know, like, like you run into the same thing and you run into new, you, you might eliminate one job or make one job easier, but you then add another job because for instance, if a robot's bringing dishes back to the dish pit, well, unless you already staff a guy who's taking the dishes from the servers and, and you know, getting them into the dish pit, you know what I mean? Like, uh -huh. like, like now you're now dishwasher has to stop washing dishes to go get the stuff off the robot. You know what I mean? So you, you might've eliminated one job over here, a food runner position, but on the, on the opposite side, you now need another dishwasher, right? So it, it ends up being very interesting how this is all going to play out. But I do agree with you. You have to look at how, what is my plan in the next 10 years and how do we change our design aspect so that we're building four potential robots, right? Like a landing area. And we're staffing for that model as well, too. That's right. I mean, and really that's the, uh, the big things we're learning is the robots in today's app retrofit applications are not necessarily reducing your labor, sure, uh, but they can be adapted to create a a unique guest experience and a guest experience that the guests are looking for. But if you can't have the blend of the two, you know you have to figure why are we doing it? Uh, yeah. Not just for the sake of having robots, but uh, and then looking at our our new versions, right? Everything we do. You know, we use the entrepreneurial operating system model. So we're looking 10 years out and saying, you know, what we're looking at today may not be ready today, but yeah. it may be ready in three years. So how do we use it in three years? Uh, but I think we're talking about the same company. And one of our recommendations to them was uh, they need to get some Jeep tires on that. Uh, oh, yeah. So navigate over the ups and downs and the unevennesses of our floors and back of the house, the front of the house. and and all around, but uh, it was fun testing it. Consumers loved it. Uh, they laughed at it, uh, but at the end of the day, the existing restaurants just are not formed. We found they're just not formatted for it yet, and, uh, but our next versions will be. That's great. They, uh, one of the cool things too with, with robots is, you know, and this, we were just having this conversation yesterday internally about uh, selling some software is, you know, 
it's so easy with technology and obviously you used to work in a technology company too. So, you know, this, it's so easy with technology to talk about the 50 or 60 different solutions that we could do. We can make this better and that better and that better and blah, 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 blah. When really what we need to focus on is let's solve one problem. Let's just right. find one problem that we can solve today that will add value. Like, so for instance, if you could have cameras and a robot that could drive out to the parking lot and deliver food, you could do that one thing that would pay for itself, right? Over time, that would pay for itself. And then you go, okay, now we've got the robot in the building. It's working, doing this one thing. Where else could we dip our toes in here? You know, where else could we see if we could do a little other thing, you know? And it was good for us just internally to have that same conversation is let's just focus on solving one problem. And then we know we can do a thousand different things, but that's overwhelming. It's hard to communicate. It's, it's overwhelming for the potential client. It's overwhelming for everybody. Just shut up, you know? Right. Yeah. It's, it's do one thing, do it well, and then look for the next thing to do instead yeah. of trying to do a hundred things and never getting anything done. Yep. I mean, yeah, that it, it's crazy. Yeah. So that's cool. That's really interesting. Yeah. I never thought about from the retrofit perspective and, you know, Oftentimes, too, I feel like in the franchisor world, like when you're seeing this with Subway right now and some others, you know, it's this like these constant redesigns and the redesigns fall on the either brand redesigns or building redesigns or whatever. And I can understand like, you know, you see, I don't know if you saw that, like it was in NRN or whatever, the Taco Bell, the future, and it's like six above and there's four drive through lanes and, you know four cars can be in at any given time and you know you're ordering off the app and things are coming down on a dumb waiter and all this stuff like that kind of a redesign you know that's not that's not a trivial redesign that's a massive redesign you know that could cost millions of dollars you know um to the lower ones where you hear about subway like if you're a high volume subway they want you to spend like 50 g's right now to redesign your your restaurant and, you know, the problem with these redesigns are a lot of times I feel like it's just management going, uh, you know, Subway, you know, Subway's problem isn't the green color. That's not why people aren't going in there to eat Subway. You know what I mean? Like they have other problems they need to address and they're trying to. I'm giving them that. But like these constant brand redesigns and stuff, those all fall on the shoulders of the franchisees. And it, it's a great it's a very easy way to get people to go that's where you lose your trust right like okay you know what i mean like hey you want me to drop fifty thousand dollars when my aubs are down under a half a million a year okay and, and that's gonna magically bring people in here no you know yeah you know, and uh this will lead me to one of the other questions but you know it's the restaurant industry is notorious for making something very simple extremely complex <laughs> people go to restaurants because they're hungry they yeah. come back because of the experience. Yep. And I guarantee if you give them great food and you give them a great experience, they're never going to tell you what the color of the wallpaper is and the color of the floor. And they're not going to tell you uh, if your tabletops were wood or if they were uh, veneer or anything else. They're going to tell you the food was great, the valley was great, and my experience was wonderful and i'll come back i mean we all can i mean we all can list how many iconic quote-unquote dive restaurants oh yeah that if the lights were on bright high the health department would shut down tomorrow right yeah they got lines out the door so yeah yep. i mean i i laugh when um 
when you when companies uh, and we're 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 all you know at one time a point we're all guilty of it. Um, they come out with a change for the sake of a change to say they're doing something to justify the huge corporate overheads versus focusing on the three most important parts, high quality yep. food, great experience and franchisees bottom line. Yep. You know, it's like lawyers, right? It, lawyers are the epitome of this. You can take the most basic generic mutual NDA and you give it to a lawyer and he's going to just go in and redline something just to show that he's working. You know what I mean? And you just want to punch him in the throat and it stalls everything out. And you just want to just strangle people. But every single contract, the lawyers just have to change two to four or whom or some stupid thing that just extends the process. 10x. They're costing us millions of dollars of wasted time, you know, over stupid stuff. And but that's the restaurant industry too. Yeah, we gotta, you know, like you said, nobody cares if your wall's white or green. They care about cleanliness, product execution, and speed of service, and you know, that's it. Right. And if you give them those things, they don't care about anything else. You're right. How many restaurants like we we all eat in fancy restaurants, you know, crazy expensive fancy restaurants, and we all eat in like dives where you're on like a a, like a banquet chair from the seventies and they don't stop to think because the food's so good, you know? Ah, yeah, great. Uh, you know, I've, I've always said, you know, if, if you're giving great food and a great experience for the type of restaurant that you are, that, that your guest is expecting, uh, they're never going to notice any of the other stuff. They will notice it, however, when they're waiting in line for 20 minutes, or they're waiting for a server to come to their table for 20 minutes. That's yep. when they start noticing all the other stuff. And really, the root cause is back to your service model, not your design model. Yep. Yeah, I have a buddy. He's a he's currently a, he was a Quiznos guy, and then he was at Popeyes, and now he's at Dunkin'. And he's been he's a the consummate area manager, but he's that one guy that can like he's always like in the top you know, 20%, his markets mm -hmm. are in the top 20%. And he's like, he's like, it's three things. It's product execution, it's cleanliness and inviting environment, and it's speed of service. Whatever those, whatever is right for whatever experience you're having. Obviously, Ruth's Chris versus Taco Bell, they have different speed of service requirements. But he's like, if you do those three things well, but just like you said, no one will care about anything else like and they won't notice it and you won't have people getting in other people's faces and you won't have employees talking back and all this other bs right is because all that happens when those three things are not handled right that's when when your speed of service is off when your cleanliness was off and when your product execution were off when one of those things are off then it's the death by a thousand cuts of all the other things that are actually wrong in your building you know so yeah. right. i know that's great though i like that we have a we have a tendency to overcomplicate things that don't need to be complicated that's a great quote uh what is the one thing in the industry or your business that's keeping you up at night the old tired word right now of uh, supply chain uh our and we use multiple distribution vendors to the different brands 
some do a better job than others, but at the end of the day, the biggest problem we're having is a franchisee places an order for X product and Y product is coming through their door. Uh, and surprisingly, it's typically at a higher cost per uh, per unit price too. Weird. That's weird. Uh, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Th th no clue how that happens. It happened, do we? Uh, but uh, you know, those auto subs are not necessarily the right. Uh, but what keeps me up at night about that is, as brands are trying to bring on limited time only offerings and you know, be creative and provide something new to the guest. The big thing that we're all stopping these on is can the supplier commit to fulfilling enough of the product to keep you through your window? And sure. uh, we've stumbled out the gate, taking them for their word for it, and uh, have stopped and started LTOs to the point now where everyone's gun shy of doing any uh just for fear of you know getting the consumer excited giving them a great product and then telling them the next time they come in oh by the way we don't have it anymore because it's not on the truck uh, so that is what really is keeping us up is how do we uh how do we ensure that the subs are being subbed right in that when we are doing product launches uh the product is going to be there for the duration of it in the past your worries were Boy, what am I going to have to do with these hundred extra cases that we didn't sell through because you know we brought in what we thought was going to be eight weeks and we actually have twelve weeks? Today, it's like, can I even get two days? So, what percentage of sales would you attribute to LTOs? Just I need mean, is rough. I know you have multiple brands are probably different, so you can guesstimate. But like, how important is LTOs to uh, the restaurants? Like profitability and sales for the year well profitability it's very important because those are the items you're bringing in that are going to you know if they're not already running a profitability above your current menu items you're not going to bring them in uh, so those tend to be your more profitable ones um, and the other measurement there is it gives your regular loyal consumers something else to try something right. else to change to keep in the seat so you know although it may be you know 12 percent of your sales while you're running through it uh there's also the the non-measurables is how often did somebody come back and how are you are you keeping them longer but you know we try to target a uh a four to five percent bottom line lift for our franchisees to their bottom line while running an lto uh and uh we try to also get into a testing mode where you know you're testing next year's menu item for an lto at the same time it's going to run um you know how many times have we found ourselves in positions or brands find themselves in position that you know in the middle of winter they're uh doing a dessert that's going to melt in summertime and they go, oh, it doesn't really sell, so we shouldn't put it on the menu. Well, it's like, uh, yeah, because it's not going to sell in December. What's going to do in July when it's going on the menu? And vice versa. So, uh, you know, beer cheese in July does not sell like beer cheese in November sells. So why are we testing it in July? <laughs> yeah, that's that's funny. Yeah, so I guess my point we're trying to have, we'll get to on that was, you know, when you can't successfully execute LTOs, sales are down across the system because you know sales are down because you're not you're not marketing something new you're not grabbing that new guest you're not giving that other person a reason to return sooner you know yep 
So yeah, it, you, you, yeah. you lose that lapsed user, right? I mean, that's the person you're really trying to get. You're trying to get that person who knows your brand, uh, is comfortable with your brand, but you really just haven't given them a reason over time to come back to you. So sure. you throw that OTO out there, and all of a sudden they kind of they they re invent you and re and re put you into their lineup but without those LTOs you don't have that chance because I mean, we're all people of habit right I mean we all have five or so restaurants that we go to as our go-to's and then we have another five that if the group is going to we'll go to and then we're all you know everyone in this industry is trying to push into your into one of those two five groups uh, and LTOs are huge in helping you get into those groups yeah and then you said something else too so actually yeah i want to know what are what are your suppliers telling you are the reasons why they don't have the products uh <laughs> well uh it, it all goes to uh the original source uh so we'll hear anything from you know the the farms are understaffed and they can't get the product uh out of the fields on time whether it's a protein or a vegetable right uh in the processing plants the fda may not be there so they can't run their production plan so they don't have the staffing or they're down to you know one shift instead of three shifts a day because of staffing um you know oh we can't get a truck in it's not coming in on a truck so it's delayed on the truck so um uh, i think they will give you any excuse that sounds good in the moment that everybody else is chattering about until you start asking the five whys um and then what you really realize is most of these distribution centers right now are in what i would call recovery mode from COVID themselves uh and you know they're suffering the same staffing issues that we're having they're suffering the same technology need for upgrades that we're doing and it really comes down to it's 90% of it is really a human error. Did somebody order the product from the supplier in time or not? Uh, and when they were notified that the supplier can or cannot distribute it, did they communicate with you? Yes or no? Yeah. I think probably the listeners of the podcast are going to get tired of me saying this, but this is an unprecedented, weird time. Mm -hmm. in the world, and I don't understand how people aren't having to work. Like, it doesn't make any sense, right? Like, it just doesn't. Like, there's, you know, there's just as many chickens today as there were, you know, a couple of that, you know, a couple of years ago. I don't understand why we can't get the wings to the marketplace um i'm with you on that tommy i just i just scratch my head uh trying to figure out where the workforce went uh and where it shifted and it's always gonna right i mean with technology is gonna drive changes in a workforce uh and if it was the restaurant industry i'd say okay folks went on you know they became independents they did this they did that but it's every industry is looking for people yeah like, where, do we, where do we all go yeah i don't know are they like all standing and like are they all trapped in the Grand Canyon and they just can't get out? Like we go, we need to go look over there and there's like ten thousand workers just hey, I need a job. Um, yeah, it is nuts right now, and it it is putting such, it's just making it so much harder than it needs to be to run the business that you ran in 2019. You know, it's just it's nuts. Um, uh, let's go to the next question. 
What is the one thing you thought your industry would be doing right now that it isn't? I, I personally, I, I think it's, uh, I would have thought we would have figured out like some brands have that at the end of the day, my customer is my franchisee. Uh, their customer is their employee, and their customer, and their employee's customer is the guest coming through the doors. Um, and I think we spend too much time trying to trying to do things for the guest coming through the door, completely bypassing the fact that there's two other levels of guests we've completely missed on. Um, so I think you know, in our industry, I would have thought we would have figured out by now, especially in the franchising world, that that franchisee that is your number one customer. Uh, and why are we not doing everything we can to give them the high quality product uh, and the tools to be successful in the experience that we expect them to get their guests? Yeah. It, and a lot of organizations, I feel like it's like, you know, and you, you, and I get, and I think this is just like an unintended consequence of like, I think this was under, was it under Obama? the joint employer, whatever act where like, when they try to make McDonald's, like provide healthcare for like McDonald's fan employees, like uh, employees, that the unintended consequence of that action of has really, I think, put like a divide kind of in the franchisee franchisor world that didn't need to be there. You know, because now franchisors are terrified of, you know, taking on an additional liability by like doing too much for the franchisees. And I, I hear it from people all the time. Well, it's their business. You know, I hear it from franchisors all the time. That's their company. We, you know, we don't get involved with that. And, and, it, and it's also, uh, I think, a lot of like uh, BS, too, because franchisors will generally mandate anything to the system that impacts their bottom line or their top line, which is sales, right? But then they're, they're less, uh, they don't want to have the fight when it has to do with profits, right? Well, we're not going to mandate this thing that's going to make their profits bigger because they don't want to get yelled at by the franchisees. But when it, it, it when it's the franchisor's sales, they're very apt to like get in there and, hey, you got to go do this type of thing, you know? Yeah, that, I mean, I think that spells the conundrum uh, very well. It's, uh, hey, and I mean, yeah, there are, I mean, there are some, there's some legitimate, legislative hampering in the business and then there's some that we create the monster that's not really there in fear of a potential litigation that is never going to come anywhere but going back to the red lines right that's what um corporate attorneys are always there to tell you this is going to get you sued don't do it okay has anyone ever been sued by it well no but this is going to get you sued don't do it uh yeah it's so ridiculous Yep. I, I mean, and but I think what you're saying and your kind of um, perspective as a, as a company at, at a, is is dead on. If we just if we actually care about the franchisees' profitability, and that comes through not only in our rhetoric, right? Everybody can say I care about you, and then do the opposite, but in our actions and in the systems that we employ, and in how we go about, you know, how we like look at, you know, whatever it's gonna be, renovations, new product lines, new technology, whatever it is, and we say, hey, and we're really thoughtful about it. 
then that builds a culture where your franchisees will be successful. The single unit guys will go to be multiple unit guys. The mult you'll be able to attract bigger multi-unit guys when you're trying to break into a new market. You can go sell 20 of these things because you got a real well-capitalized guy because he's looking for the franchisor who actually is going to support him, you know? So and that's what the business was originally meant to be. I think that was the initial dream of the franchisor, right? Model was yep. we will take great care of these franchisees and then they will provide the capital for us all to grow. And then it just somehow got lost in the, I think it just got lost there in the middle. But it's refreshing to hear somebody who's, you know, sort of focusing on that. It's not every day. Oh, it is. I mean, the franchisor is never going to be successful if the franchisees are not. Yeah. It just, it just cannot, you, you cannot have a successful franchisor without successful franchisees. Absolutely. All right, we're going to do the last question. See, see how painless this was? War story time, though. It could be from any business you ever, you could be from any job, any business you ran, any place you work. Give me one of those cringeworthy, hilarious, we can't believe we got through it stories. Oh, well, I, I will tell you, it is um, the Wing House in uh, Tampa, Florida. Uh, we just took over the restaurants in uh, November of 19. Uh, we are in the midst of leadership transfers. We're in the midst of culture change. We're in the mix of trying to figure out, you know, being a concept girl brand and, um, you know, how do you stay protected from the Me Too? How do you uh, create an environment where our next CEO from the, for that brand can come from within? And then COVID hits, and you know people are not going to Wing House per se for uh, the food necessarily. They're going for the entire experience, as we talked about. But now the entire experience is gone because the restaurants are shut. Um, and you know we're all scratching our heads. What are we going to do? What are we going to do? What are we going to do? And we get a call from one of our Wing House girls at one of our locations, and she says, "Hey." I've been talking to other wing house girls, and we think what we should do is we should have a car wash out front for everybody who orders their food and is waiting for their food. We'll wash their cars. Well, simple, right? How great of an idea is that? We implemented that in one location, and all of a sudden, sales went from a couple hundred dollars a day to almost $3,000 in that first day. Wow. Girls were getting tips for the car wash. They were having fun. They were enjoying it. We implemented that throughout our locations, and that kept the business alive through the shutdown. Um, and the girls, it came from them. It was their idea. They embraced it, and they ran with it. Uh, and the dividends are still being paid today on uh, how the guests appreciated the fact that we kept our quote-unquote doors open to them and provided them with the experience that they're used to seeing inside, outside. But uh, it was humbling because you have groups of executives huddling trying to figure out how to solve this, and it all gets solved from a phone call from one of our Wink House girls who says, 
This is what we should do. That is awesome. You, you know, one of the things that we pride ourselves within our platform is, is that we can crowdsource ideas, right? Like we can easily crowdsource ideas from the teams to get back to corporate. And because at corporate, you're, you're not, I wouldn't say I retire, but you're, 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 you're disconnected from what's happening at the store level a lot of the time, right? Cause you're working in an office trying to figure stuff out and you forget things that are like, if you were in the restaurants, you'd be like, oh, that doesn't make any sense whatsoever. My buddy was uh, noodles and the noodles went to these two tiered burners. And he was like, people were, they, they were wrapping like towels and tinfoil around their forearms. So that reflect the heat from the bottom 600 degree burner so they could flip food on the top burner, right? And he was like, what genius who was a restaurant executive came up with this double tier burner thing because, you know, where obviously you forgot that heat rises and people are burning themselves, right? And it's like, but like being able to go get the, get the info from the team. This is what's actually happening in the restaurants. And this is and what you're talking about. It's the exact same thing. You crowdsourced an idea versus having it all fall on your shoulders to figure it out, right? From somebody who, by the way, because it was there, because if you would come down and say, why don't you girls go wash cars? They would have been like, nope. But when because it was their idea and, and she had socialized it with some of the other girls on her team, they were able to go, this is our idea. Of course they wanted to do it. They needed money. You know, they knew the restaurant was going to go down. They weren't going to make any tips if they didn't, you know. Yeah. Oh, that's yeah. great. Yeah, and, uh, you know, to, to this day, uh, it's really a testament on if you actually listen to those who are most invested in the success, and that is the folks who are there on the front line, uh, you will know and learn more about the business than you ever will uh, by sitting in the corporate office and using your years of experience to make the next decision. Yeah. Well, and my whole company is based on data-driven decisions because, you know, first of all, tell me somebody who started in the 70s or 80s in the restaurant business that has relevant experience for today's restaurant world. You know what I mean? Unless, like, what happened in the 70s and 80s and 90s is not even close to what it is today in the 2022. You know what I mean? Okay. And, Take, you can't make decisions based off of intuition. Intuition can influence decisions, but you need data. You need yeah. a way to capture information from multiple sources and look at it and go, well, this is what the numbers are saying. I know that's how we feel about it, but the numbers are this. Yep. And, you know, to, to, to even stress that point you just made even more is, I would argue that the way we did business in 2018 and 2019 is no longer how you do business today. No, I would agree too. I mean, yeah, we 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 all complained about labor in 2018, thinking it couldn't get any worse, right? Well, guess what? <laughs> yeah, guess what? <laughs> we uh, that is so true. I mean, back then you were complaining that oh my god, you're not going to take my kitchen staff up to eleven dollars an hour, and now no. you're like, now you're like. Hey, Mr. On the Street, would you sign what work for food? I'll give you 30 bucks if you can just show up tomorrow for one hour. I know. I I have said this, and like I even looked at like I, I dip my toe in it, but just too busy with my current business. 
But like, I do think that we have to revisit how we staff the restaurants, right? In the respect of, you know, when I was waiting tables, right? Like early 2000s, mid 2000s, you know, you came in, you staggered everybody in, everybody did a little bit of side work to open the restaurant. Everybody did side work to close the restaurant and you never made any money at lunch. I mean, like lunch was just basically a penance. You had to work to get dinner shifts and um, you know, whatever. And, and it's like, we had that. And I think a lot of people still use that kind of model, but then so many people have left the industry and they've gone to this sort of a gig work society, right? They're, they're getting your groceries, they're delivering your food, they're delivering packages. And, and so how do we incorporate that gig work world into our restaurant, right? Can we have two full-time Monday through Friday lunch employees that are salaried and have benefits and, you know, are like a basically get paid like a manager and they open and close the restaurant Monday through Friday, nine to five, and they do all the side work and they get tips and they get a decent salary. And then can you have 20 people that just gig app in and just literally work the rush? They get a, they get a meal on their way out the door and they do no side work and they make 40, 50 bucks in tips. They get like a sandwich and they're gone. Two hours later. Can we do that? You know, because we only need the 10 or 11 servers for, the rush, you know what I mean? Right. Maybe that's not that's not going to work every shift every day, but it might work Monday and Tuesday, right? Or I don't know, where you can give people because if the waiters can make more money, then they'll stay longer, right? So. I can honestly see that, and it won't be too far off. Uh, it is going to be there will be an app where we will be bidding for the available workers by shift to say, hey, Friday, if you work this in this shift, here's your compensation package, here's what it looks like. And they're gonna go look and they're gonna be able to look at your competition and go, well, if I go right down the street, I'm gonna get this and I'll come to you. Okay, I'll take your shift. And yeah. you, you could have the same person working in six different restaurants throughout the week, uh, just based on availability and pricing. I mean, it's gonna be, we're gonna be like Ubers uh, yeah. of the workforce at some point uh, and those who embrace it and can get ahead of it and be thinking about how do you design for the future for that will be further ahead of what's inevitably coming to us yeah it'll be a yield management system mm -hmm. you know hey right. we'll pay you 27 dollars an hour if you come work for the next if you can be here in an hour and you can work for the next four hours right. because we know that like that's thousands of dollars of revenue that we have to be able to do. But then, you know, hey, you want a Sunday night shift at 10 o'clock, you know, if we don't need anybody, so we'll give you a buck to come in. You get free yeah. yeah. Or you have to do that one to be able to get one of the top ones. But, um, and, and another funny story that's happening in the industry right now is we have, we have franchisees who have now split to, they used to do payroll uh, every other week. They yeah. still do payroll every other week, but they now do it every week and half the staff gets it on one, let's say Wednesday, and the other half gets it on the other Wednesday because predictability tells you that they're gonna get their paycheck and the next three days they're gonna call out. Yep. So now they at least have said, okay, fine, half my staff is gonna call out, my other half staff is gonna be here, and then next week we'll be down. Uh, and they are solving staffing issues by staggering pay. That's interesting. 
Yeah. Have you guys contemplated like doing daily pay, setting that up, or getting like you know? That we are looking. We are looking to test that. Um, and again, I mean, it's it's we have to find a right franchisee who is open minded to try it. A lot of them believe that uh, if you go down that path, they're only work through that day. You won't see them again. Um, so we're trying to, we've got a couple who are eager on it. So we're trying to figure it out between, you know, payroll costs and how you're going to do payroll. And, you know, you talked earlier about how, you know, if a robot comes in, you, you may not lose that position, you've got to shift it. This is now say, okay, so how do we shift somebody who can manage your payroll on a daily basis? Uh, you've got tips, reported tips, all this. So this, it's complex. Yeah. Um, but again, it's one of these things that I think, is gonna at some point in time it is going to be here yeah it, it is an interesting time you know yeah i just yeah i think you're right though i think yeah yeah i i really do believe that the future a big part of the future is going to be you know it's almost like this too come in we'll train you on our pos on our menu and you'll be running like a constant training academy come on and get trained and then you can get on this gig app and then when we need people we'll put it out to all the people who are trained on our app on this platform and you know or you'd be able to say too like a college degree or a resume well i know how to use the par and the toast and the whatever the square registers so like that's part of my resume so you could go through a search for people i need people who understand how to use these three can use the one of these three uh, register systems and has this level of experience serving, you know? Right. If that's the other question too, is how much do you invest in these employees from a training perspective when they're only here for 44 days? Like how can we streamline that training or give them the tools? Like, so for instance, if you use a phone as a register and somebody goes, you know, and they go, hey, I want to get those buffalo, ah, whatever, just regular buff, medium wings. Uh, how many are in a small? And they can have that information, like they can tap on the item and go, mm -hmm. oh, they're seven in a small, they're medium spicy, it comes with this, this, and this. So they only have to know the register. They don't have to know the details on the menu, right? Because the, it's all in their hand, you know? Yep. Because yeah, if you put in your hand, you don't have to train somebody for two weeks and have them follow people. You can get them on the floor in a day or two. Exactly. And I'll tell you another thing that we're, we're looking at doing is we are systematizing all of our POS systems uh, and trying to, since we're mostly in the sports bar uh, industry, trying to get our equipment in the back of the house to say so that let's say you're in Tampa and four of our brands are there. Well, you train an employee in one brand and guess what? Now that employee is transferable to any one of the three brands because the POS system is the same. So that the way it works is going to be the same, just a little unique on the menu items. Back of the house is the same. So if you learn one, you learn them all. Uh, and trying to help our franchisees get productivity through that approach as well. That's that let us entertain you model, right? When they used to have those spreadsheets and they were like, doesn't matter what brand this is, we have systematized it with these spreadsheets so that you, a manager from any one of our brands could go into another brand. They won't know the, maybe the exact recipes on everything, but every other aspect of running the business is the same. Exactly. And I'll just make it easier to, 
to staff and support your teams. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, me, you and I are like cut from the same cloth, Joe. You and I think the same way on all this stuff, which is cool. It's incredible. I, I really enjoyed this, and and actually starting right from the very path of, you know, well, I said the restaurant community is a small one, and and look at how many dissections we've had from the start. Oh, I know, and I I know we know some of the same people from Yum. Yeah, like, uh, you know, it's crazy. So, uh, well, Joe, I, I can't thank you enough for coming on. Uh, we will obviously link to. Uh, we'll get a link on there for your hiring site and uh and we'll get this out to the people thank you so much for your time sir i appreciate it, tommy have a wonderful rest of your week you too take care